To be honest with you, I was fully prepared this week to begin a new series of messages about the topic of forgiveness. In fact, I'm very excited about that series and hoping, Lord willing, if He'll allow us to, that we're going to start that next week. But I have to share with you, I couldn't. I couldn't start that series this week, and I'll share more about why that was the case here in just a moment. But instead, the Lord put on my heart today to talk with us about the election that is coming up this week. Now, I have to say, if I were you, and I came to church, and, and I was anticipating God speaking to my heart, and, and, and I come in, and we're singing some worship songs, and we're praying, and we're beginning to open up our heart to God, and the pastor says, okay, today we're going to talk about politics. I have to say that I might be tempted to have a, a little bit of a sigh, maybe roll my eyes a little bit, and say, oh goodness, I could have slept in today. <laughs> I mean, especially with a presidential election. I mean, good grief, when did it start, like two years ago? I mean, they, they come every four years, but it seems like as soon as there's an election, it seems like the, the, the next election kicks off. And it seems like, especially over the last little while, it's a constant topic. And no matter where you turn, in the media, TV, newspaper, and you know, many times when we're coming to worship, we're saying, I'd like to get above that fray a little bit. I'd like to get outside of what I'm hearing in the news or what I'm seeing in the paper. And and I'd like to have that bigger perspective. I'd like to see God's perspective and not get so caught up in all the stuff of this world. Well, to some extent, that's true, isn't it? We should be coming and getting a bigger picture when we worship God. But to some extent, maybe it's not as accurate. We should also be learning how to live and how to participate in this world where our feet are on the ground. And though it might get on our nerves sometimes, and sometimes we might feel sort of oversaturated, what goes on in the political realm does affect our lives on a daily basis. It's very much a part of what's going on in our lives. Especially, we should be concerned, in a country where we've been given the amazing opportunity and privilege to have a voice, to have a say, to vote. Praise God that He's put us in a country where many people around the world would love to have that opportunity. About six weeks ago, the Lord, as uh, we were heading into that kind of that election cycle, especially the presidential election, the Lord put on my heart that, you know, really as God's people, we needed to begin to, to be broken for our nation. And we talked about, out of Nehemiah chapter 1, a nation that needs God. We looked at a spiritual preparation, that some things that God might want to do in our heart. And so that really kicked off for us a 40 days of prayer emphasis, where we said, God, we need to seek you as a nation. You know what? We can't take care of every little community around the world, but we're going to start here in our community. And we're going to say, God, we hope as you look down on New Hope Community Church, you see a people who know we are desperate for you. Amen? So that was kind of our focus, while also mentioning a, a few aspects of some things that might be leading up to the election. Well, today we're going to focus more on those specifics. Now, I do want to say this before we do that. Let's be very careful this morning about any big, robust, especially self-righteous, amen, brother, you know, getting, you know, just, yeah, that's what we wanted to hear. This is not a pep rally, 
okay? This is not a, hey, I'm going to throw out some things that we all agree on, and let's just amen, amen. Now, not that I'm against amens. Y'all know, right? I love amens. Amen says, I'm with you. I hear what you're saying. God's speaking to my heart. But I think we need to be very careful that sometimes Christians really enjoy talking about the topics that we're going to deal with today. And even more critical than that, sometimes they enjoy looking down their nose at other people in relation to those topics. That's not our purpose. In fact, if you read God's Word, God's Word really says, if we should be concerned about anybody first, it ought to be the people in this room. The Lord says, if judgment's going to begin, if I'm going to begin kind of cleaning things up, it ought to begin, first of all, where? At God's house, okay? So really, before we can make any kind of impact in our larger world, we really need to say, God, would you work on who first? Would you work on me? So I want us to talk about that this morning. We're going to talk about preparing for an election. And I want to start out with this question. And I've sort of already begun to set this up a little bit, but I want to dig into it a little bit further. Why are we even talking about this in the first place? I was on my way to the church office this week, and I was actually thinking about the message for this weekend, the, the series, really, the whole series on forgiveness. And I was getting excited about the message that I believe God was putting on my heart to share with you, the first message in that series. And as I was doing that, the Lord brought to my mind, you know, the election's coming up this, this coming week. And here's what I believe the Lord very clearly spoke to my heart. Not in an audible voice, but I believe very clearly He spoke to my heart. Robbie, where are the voices? You say, Pastor Robbie, what do you mean by that? Well, as soon as I heard that, that, that sense in my heart of that message from the Lord to me as His servant, I immediately, I immediately understood what He was talking about. You see, the Bible indicates that we, as the body of Christ, are God's people, His church, and He wants, to, as He's speaking to the world, He wants to work through us to be His servants to share those messages. So in the middle of what potentially could be a pivotal time in our nation's history, don't you think that God might have something to say for us and to us? And if he did, shouldn't his people be involved in cutting through the haze of all the messages and hearing what he's trying to say and helping to be a part of what he's trying to do? Write down Amos chapter 3 verse 8. In Amos 3 verse 8 it says, A lion has roared, who will not fear? The Lord God has spoken, who can but prophesy? i got to tell you, that could be my theme verse. I have no desire to stand up here in front of all you people every week, except God gives me something to say, and I'm really excited about sharing it with you, okay? Well, that ought to be your heart. All of our heart is God's people. God has spoken. I can't help it. i got to share what God has for people's lives. Amen? And if the church were speaking, who speaks for the churches? To get more specifically... Again, ultimately, God wants to speak through who? The whole body. God wants his whole body engaged in doing his work. But many times, the Bible seems to indicate as he's beginning that work, God usually starts something like that by speaking to and through his servants, the prophets. In fact, if you go back, uh, just one verse from what I just read, it says, Surely the Lord God does nothing unless he reveals his secret counsel to his servants, the prophets. We're talking about the pastors. 
God has given his body, spiritual leadership, servants of his to, to hear his voice, to follow his direction, and to set the pace in God's people doing God's work. It's very tempting for us as Christians to get lulled to sleep, isn't it? Seasons come and seasons go. Especially as you get older, right? Seasons come and seasons go. And things happen, and we have this president, and we have this president, and we have this cycle, and all these things happen. If we're not very careful, we can get lulled to sleep. But I think one day, we're going to look back and see how significant the choices we made as a nation really were. And friends, today, I believe that God, listen, that God would say to us as his people, Wake up and pay attention. Wake up, my people, and listen to my voice. God's people, of all people in this world, the Bible says, are to be engaged. We're to be involved. We're not to be falling asleep, just uh, letting things go by and not being intentional about our lives. Write down 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 6. In that passage, it says very specifically, So then, let us not sleep as others do, but let us be alert and sober. The indication that the Bible gives of God's people is that we're watching. We're paying attention. We're aware of what's going on in the world around us. Write down Luke chapter 12, verses 54 through 56. Jesus said to the crowds, he says, When you see a cloud rising in the west, immediately you say, a shower is coming. And so it turns out. And when you see a south wind blowing, you say, it's, it's going to be a hot day, and it turns out that way. He said, you know, you've begun to recognize that when some things happen uh, in the weather around you, that, okay, I see this happening, then this is what's going to happen next. He says, you hypocrites, you know how to analyze the appearance of the earth and the sky, but why do you not analyze this present time? Do you hear that voice from your Lord, church family? God is saying to his people that he wants us to be aware and paying attention to what he is doing in this world. And if you might be in that category of person this morning, that would say, you know what, Pastor Robbie, I don't think you or I don't think our church family ought to be paying attention to stuff like this. I think we ought to leave it alone. Then I would just encourage you to read the Old Testament. Because much of the Old Testament is God speaking to nations and to leaders about the critical importance of following the Lord and his ways. Now, admittedly, much of that is to the nation of Israel, but many of those same principles that he spoke to his special peop people, Israel, are the kind of things that God challenges any nation to do right and to be blessed. Why are we talking about this? Because, listen, friend, in the middle of this world, this messed up world that we live in, God is speaking. God never stops speaking into what is happening in our world around us, the real question is, are we, what? Are we listening? Okay, so why are we talking about this? Because the Lord has something to say, and he wants us to listen to his voice and to be a part of what he's doing in this world. So secondly, let's think about this. Let's get more specific. What are some of those things that God would be speaking to us about? Some of the specifics as we approach an election. We're going to make some decisions this week, aren't we? We're going to make some decisions. What are the basis upon which we should make those decisions? What are some things that God would speak into our hearts about making sure that we are thinking about and aware of? 
You know what's encouraging here? We don't have to guess. You know why? Because God wrote a book. God wrote a book. And he's given us his word. And so all we have to do is say, God, what does your word say about these issues that we are confronted in within our society? So let's look to God's word for some guidance. Write these down. I'm going to give you several key points that are involved in the decisions that we're going to make over the next few days. First of all, the sanctity of human life. Now, that word sanctity sounds like a big kind of religious word, but it just means specialness, okay? Human life is what? It's special. It ought to be precious. It ought to be seen as unique by us. And there's a lot of different aspects to it. We can't cover all those different aspects. It can go anywhere from embryonic stem cell research all the way to how we treat the elderly in our society. But probably the most visible issue that comes up in relation to human life is the topic of abortion. Now, anytime I speak about abortion, I want to be very mindful of the fact that there is no doubt that in a size of people, in a room with this many people, that there is for sure some people in this room who have either had an abortion or you've been involved in someone else having an abortion. And may I just say to you, as we talk about these topics on a larger level of how we as a nation should cover them, let me just share with you God's message to you. If you have had an abortion or if you have been involved with others having an abortion, God says to you today, you can receive healing and forgiveness and cleansing and His grace today. He wants to do that in your life. Please hear that. But as a country, as a nation, we cannot continue to make the decision that it is okay to allow this in our society. The Bible says, write down Jeremiah chapter 1, verse 5. In Jeremiah uh, 1, 5, this is what the Lord, there's many passages I could give you, but in Jeremiah 1, verse 5, this is what the Lord said to Jeremiah. He said, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Wow. That's pretty far back, isn't it? Before you were ever formed in your mother's womb, I knew you, God says. And before you were born, I consecrated you. God is saying to Jeremiah, I appointed you as a prophet to the nation. I had a plan and a purpose for your life before you were ever born into this world. That's very clear, isn't it? I mean, that's very clear. The Lord is saying that we should not tamper with his plan for a person who's been created by him and he has a purpose for their life. We should not be tampering with that inside of a mother's womb. You can write down Psalm chapter 139, that whole passage. I just read it earlier in the service. That whole passage talks about the intimacy, the care, how God is so intimately acquainted with all of our ways from the time that we are conceived in our mother's womb. And actually, Jeremiah says even before that, from, from before the time we're conceived to the time that we're conceived all the way through our lives, our whole life, God is intimately caring about every second of your life. Now, many Christians will say this. Well, I know, Pastor Robbie, but you can't have everything in a candidate. May I just say this to you? If we cannot trust the youngest and the oldest and the weakest and the most innocent in our society to a leader, we cannot trust that leader. To be our leader. In fact, I, I just have to say this to you in terms of this topic. 
many times I feel like maybe we should just call a solemn assembly and just be broken before the Lord about this topic of abortion. I mean, even just throwing it in the mix of several things today, it it ought to be yelling out at us. This is not right. What are what what are what are you people doing here? And by the way, many times in the election, it's veiled in other wording and all kinds of haze. Well, listen, let me just kind of cut through some of that. Planned Parenthood is the largest abortion provider in the United States, and abortion provides much of its income. And if you don't think that Planned Parenthood is not important to this election, watch the debate and see one of the candidates specifically mention Planned Parenthood at least twice, I think it was three times. Wow. Is Planned Parenthood really that important to that candidate? Wow. Something to think about. Secondly, we need to think about marriage. I have to be honest with you, I think it might be too late for marriage. I'm, I'm concerned that it might be too late for marriage. Number one, because I'm not sure that we have the commitment to marriage anymore ourselves, just individually. Uh, we've sort of lost that, you know, in it forever, you know, for the long haul, for life kind of thing. We've sort of lost that. So that's a problem. And then we have as a society that we're continually attempting to redefine it. But listen, we cannot accept that. We cannot accept that, 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 that that's gone. Because if we do, then we're accepting that we've lost our society. Because the Bible indicates, listen, Fred, you go back to the beginning of the book. When God started this whole thing, when he started the whole world, he started it with, in the beginning, right? He created everything. And then real quick, he said, now, let's get this place organized. First thing it is, we need a lady involved in the situation, all right? It is not good for this man to be alone, all right? (laughs) And all the ladies say, amen. And all you husbands better say, amen, honey, amen. Love you, sweetheart. I need you. But the Bible says it like this in Genesis 2, verse 24. It says, For this reason a man shall leave his father and mother, break away from that. Now, there's still, there's still a relationship, but there's, there's a break that happens. And, and a husband and a wife, they leave the family that they were raised in, and they become a home. They're joined together. That word really means they're cemented together. Okay, It's like super glue. And they shall become one flesh. And from that point forward, God gave that as the foundation of society. It starts in the home. And listen, friends, especially young person, it may seem kind of cool that some people are open to alternative ways to do family or to do home. And it may, may seem kind of old-fashioned to read about God's way. And, and it may be that someone degrades you for feeling that, that God's way is the right way, especially if you're a college student. Okay, you try mentioning in a college classroom that you believe that one man and one woman for life is God's way, and you're going to get laughed right out the door. It's difficult, isn't it? It's difficult. But it doesn't matter. No matter how loudly someone says it to you that there's a different way, the Bible says that God's established it will not work any other way. I mean, it just won't. And again, I go back just like we mentioned with abortion. I know there are people in this room who have been through divorce in so many ways. 
And, and, and in just a, a, a passing glance here this morning, we cannot touch on all the different aspects of that. But let me just say this to you. God is all about this point forward. Okay? And, and whether that was your fault or whether it was someone else's choice, and there's all kinds of things, there's lots of different dynamics, many people in this room have been through the very challenging, difficult tragedy of divorce. But God says, let's start today and move forward. There's grace. But as a society, we need to say, this is, not, this is not good. Number three, let's talk about financial responsibility. Many times we may hear in church about some of those life issues or some of those family issues, but we don't think about the financial kind of thing. Now, I'm not sure exactly where this started in our country's history. It looks to me like, it looks as I, as I look at it, that somewhere in the 20th century, somewhere about the mid 19, or 20th century, mid-1900s, somewhere along the way, though, we decided that it was okay as a country to have it now, but pay for it later. And may I just share with you, I'm just trying to be God's servant to share truth with you. We're about to pay for it. Okay, and it's kind of like that guy that jumped from the 80th floor of a building. And when he got to about the 25th floor, there was somebody looking out the window and he said, hey, so far, so good. (laughs) Well, I guess that's one way of looking at it. But pretty much his fate was sealed, wasn't it? I think when you hear what I'm about to share, sadly, our fate may be already sealed. A few years ago, the the late, really a great man of God, Larry Burkett, financial advisor, and really in some sense a prophet in these matters, he shuddered at the thought that our country was a few trillion dollars in debt. Today, I'm sure we're all aware, we're $16 trillion in debt. Now, I want you to listen to this. This This is... Amazingly revealing if we listen to what God is trying to say to us. Warning signs here. From 1776, when our country started, to the year 2000. Okay, you got that? From the time our country started to the year 2000, our nation accumulated about $5.6 trillion in debt. That's serious. I mean, that's a lot. We'll talk about a little bit about what a trillion is here in just a moment. From 2000 to 2008, it almost doubled. It went up to 10.2 trillion total. From 2008 to 2012, it actually was a little more than from 1776 to the year 2000. It was almost 6 trillion to our current total of 16 trillion. Now, let me put it another way. Are you listening? Okay, don't get lost in the numbers here. From the year 2000 to the year 2008, in those years, we almost added as much debt as we had in all of our previous years of history. But in the next four years, from 2008 to 2012, in the last four years, we have accumulated a little more than the first 224 years 
of our nation's history. Okay, if you were going down a stream, isn't it fun? You're floating along. You ever been on one of those river floats? You're just floating along. You know, the birds are singing. It's a nice day. You know, it's just drifting. If you're paying attention, sometimes you notice, you can't really see it on the surface, but you can kind of see underneath. Man, those bugs are moving fast. Man, that leaf went by quick underneath. It looks like there's a pretty good current. I mean, it still feels good, though, right? But then you get a little closer to... What does that say? wonder what that haze is up there. wonder what that spray is. It sure is pretty, that rainbow. There's a waterfall, isn't there? Doesn't it sound like we're getting close to a waterfall? Let me give you some other information, okay? If you earned $1 million a day, okay, you got me? $1 million a day from the day that Jesus Christ was born into this world. That was a long time ago. If you earned $1 million a day from the time that Christ entered this world until today you would have been close to half of paying for the debt of what we borrowed as a nation in 2011. So think about the size of those numbers. If you spent that $1 million a day, if we started when Jesus was born, the shepherds and the angels, and I think I'm just going to blow a million. Starting right now, every day, till today, if we did that, we'd still be 700 years shy of a trillion spent. Okay, that's a big number is what we're saying. And if you wanted to get to our 16 trillion, you'd still have another 42,000 years of spending a million a day. Now again, I don't share those numbers. I hope, I hope you're not getting lost in those numbers today. I hope what you're visualizing is, let's just put it in a nutshell, We've spent a lot. It sounds like somebody's been on a shopping spree. And it's time to stop. In fact, the Bible puts it very simply right down these verses. Proverbs 22. In Proverbs 22, verse 7, it says this. The borrower becomes the lender's slave. The Bible says we should be very, very careful about debt. In general, we should be very, very careful about debt. Because it can enslave someone. But then it says in Psalm 37, verse 21, when you have it, you should pay it back as quickly as possible and as soon as you're able. It says the wicked borrows and does not pay back. Okay, so as a nation, what the Bible's saying is, if we are not paying our debts, then that is wickedness, is what the Bible says. That is wrong. We should not continue down that road and just say, oh, well, we're not going to do anything about that. Okay, I wish we had more time for that, but I just want you to understand, this isn't just a financial issue, it's more than that. Number four, our relationship to Israel. We're talking about what are some of the things we should be concerned about. Now, here's one of those things that you wouldn't know unless you came to church, probably. Okay? But I I hope you would be encouraged today as you study God's Word 
as we, as we understand God's perspective, as you read your newspaper, the Bible very much speaks to today. And in fact, you're probably here as an American, as a nation that has had a Christian heritage, you probably have some idea of what I'm about to share, but maybe you've never really thought about it. So let's look at it. The nation of Israel becoming a nation again in 1948 is nothing short, was nothing short of a miracle. And really was a fulfillment, an amazing fulfillment of Bible prophecy. In fact, until 1948, if you were a Christian, you would have been saying, you know what, I can't wait for Jesus to come back, but I know that in order for that to happen, we're looking for the nation of Israel to become a nation again. In 1948, they were probably going, oh my goodness. Oh my goodness. I knew it was supposed to happen, but oh my goodness. I mean, as far as I know, no nation's ever done that. They were a nation in the year 70 AD. They were destroyed by the Romans and scattered once and for all, seemingly. And 2,000 years later, they were organized again as a nation. Wow. You begin to look at those things and like, huh, it sounds like the Bible, there's something there. And the United States was a critical part of helping for that to happen. And we've sought to, for the most part, it seems like, sought to be a friend to Israel over the last year since they became a nation again. But you need to be aware that is beginning to change. Okay? With the political correctness of pandering to Islamic nations and with more of our leaders and our country moving away from a Christian heritage, understanding of God's purpose and, and His amazing... It, it is a miracle. You read history. Listen, kids, if you don't like history, just think of it as His story, okay? And if you read history, you're going to see a lot of things that happen in order for this nation to happen. Wind direction changes. Even climate. You watch the Weather Channel. Different things in history. Weather happened that allowed us to win a battle and become the nation that we are. And you begin to look at that and you say, wow, God had a purpose for this nation. But as our leaders move more and more away from that, that support for the nation of Israel is eroding. Write down uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. It all goes back to Genesis 12, where the Lord said to Abraham, He says, The Lord said to Abraham, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. God took this tiny group of people, the nation of Israel, the Israelites, the Jewish people have clearly been blessed by God amazingly. In fact, at one time I shared with you the huge disproportion of people that the large, there's a larger proportion of people that have won a, in, in relation to their size as a nation, who've won Nobel Peace Prizes, who've been millionaires, who've been successful as doctors and lawyers. It's amazing how God's hand clearly you look at the nation of Israel, God is blessed. He fulfilled that promise. He said, I want to work in you. I want to be your God. I want you to be my people so that all the world will see that I'm a great God and everybody will trust in me. And then he said in verse 3, And I will bless those who bless you, and the one who curses you I will curse. And in, in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. If we continue down that track of turning our back on Israel... God's not going to bless us as a nation. Okay, I want to give you two more that maybe aren't as recognizable 
but that we need to be thinking about. Okay, so add these. Number five, our attitude. What should we be watching in this election? We should be watching our attitude. Many times, and that's why I share at the beginning of the message, this is not a, amen, brother, preach it right, pastor up. Yes, that's what I wanted to say. Let's get mad about it. Many times Christians have this us against the world mentality. It's not us against the world. It's us for the world. Do you hear me? Yes, there's a battle going on in this world, but the Bible says in Ephesians 6, the battle is not between people. It's not between flesh and blood. There's a spiritual battle. There is a world system that is against God for sure. And listen, I'm not naive. Somebody say, Pastor Robert, they're just, you, you just don't understand. <laughs> okay, I don't work with people. I don't understand. All right. Yes, I know there are some people that will just, it doesn't matter how nice you are, how sweet, how caring, how servant-hearted, there are some people that are just going to outright reject the Lord. I understand that. But most Christians think, many times I find from Christians, they think that that's most of the world. That everybody's just against God. Well, let me just share this with you. I don't have God's perspective. I can't see everything. And I don't know if this will maybe change. But here's what I think. I think there's a window open right now. And I don't know how long it's going to stay open. But from what I see in dealing with people, many people are open to God right now. And we ought to go, not us against them, but, and not with fists sort of ready to battle. Many Christians are always in this defensive. People tell me, say, people at work know, how I, know where I stand. I'm like, why, why do they know where you stand? You know, why are you so mad about it? They should see Christ living in you and through you. And yes, we have convictions, I understand that. But, th- but it's just that defensive mindset. We ought to go saying, just like Jesus, he came to seek and to save that which was lost. And he says in John chapter 20, verse 21, as the Father has sent me, so I have also sent you. So yes, I realize there are some people that are going to reject the Lord. We realize that. But we need to watch our attitude and have a great expectation that, you know what, God's going to work in a lot of people's lives if we'll just be his servants. Number six, we need to watch our expectations. Now, we said earlier, it's good to be informed, it's good to be involved, but some Christians, I'm afraid, are putting too much into this world, specifically government. Okay, we're trusting in too much, uh, expecting that if we put our expectation into uh, an election or the things of this world or our government that that's going to save us. We should be engaged in this world, but we should not be dependent on this world. Write down Colossians 3, verse 2. Colossians 3, verse 2 says, set your mind on things above, not on the things on the earth. Now, there's probably more we could say, but these are some of the things that should be at the forefront of our minds as Christians when we're making decisions about our leaders. All right, number three, what should we expect? Now, I want to kind of pick up on that last thing I was talking about. We should be engaged, but we should not have wrong expectations. And and, and maybe one way of putting it is like this. Some people think, man, if we could just get so-and-so in there, man, we'd be all set. Not necessarily. I would even say not necessarily. Don't be hoping in any person or any group of people we need God to work. 
That's what we really need, okay? But let's think about what should our expectations be. I want to give you four things, and I want you to write these down. First of all, God will honor your part. I can't do everything, but I can do my thing, right? And God will honor that. He sees you taking it seriously. He sees you making it a priority. He sees you working to make a difference for him. And especially, he sees you praying. I think really what we ought to be doing is on our knees. Just saying, God, we don't know what to do. And we don't know how to do it. God, just help us. Amen? Write down 1 Samuel chapter 2, verse 30. In that verse, the Bible makes a promise to us. It says this, For those who honor me, I will honor, and those who despise me will be lightly esteemed. God promises to honor you if you honor him. Secondly, our country's choice does matter. Okay? If we choose to follow the Lord in his ways, uh, Psalm 33, verse 12 says, Blessed is the nation whose God is the Lord. Okay? If we choose to honor the Lord and his ways, then God will be able to bless us. If we choose not to honor the Lord and his ways, then God will not be able to bless us and we'll suffer the consequences. Now, I want to uh, share a passage with you, 1 Samuel 8, verse 7. Um, actually, I almost uh, would call this the Burger King passage. Okay? It's the have it your way passage. All right? In 1 Samuel chapter 8, what happens is God said, I want to be your king. I want you to follow me. And the people were like, well, that's great and everything, but everybody else has like a man. And we just really like to have a man, Lord. Can you give us a man to be our king? And the Lord was like, no, no, I'm going to be your king. And he spoke through his servant, Samuel. He said, Samuel, and he gave him the message. And the people were like, no, that's great and everything, God, but we want Saul. And this is what the Lord says. The Lord said to Samuel, listen to the voice of the people in regard to all that they say to you. One of the saddest verses in the Bible For they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me from being king over them. Friends, thankfully, many times, God graciously pushes back the consequences for us. Hasn't he? Hasn't he? I hope we recognize that. Many times God says, Oh, I'm, I'm trying to give you more time. I'm trying to give you more time. Do the right thing. Make the right decision. But eventually, he says, okay, if you're just bent on it, then go through the drive through at Burger King and have it your way. I'm going to let you have what you are demanding and insisting on. Number three, eventually, unfortunately, it is going to get worse. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1 says that in the end of this world, difficult times are going to come. Now, that sounds sort of fatalistic, okay? And it's hard to mention at first because some of you are like, man, wow. <laughs> Why even try? Why should we try? Well, because the Bible says, listen, Matthew chapter 5, verses 13 through 15. Just because this world is passing away doesn't mean that we give up on it, on making a difference. Listen to me. The Bible says we, be, we should be salt. Salt does what? Delays decay. It's not going to stop it, but it slows it down, right? So 
We can be salt to make a difference, to slow it down. It's going to happen. But may we say, not in our generation, Lord willing, we will make a difference. We will keep the door open with the Lord's help. Amen? The, 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 the decay is going to happen. But listen, we delay the decay. We, we become salt to slow it down so that we can shine the light. And can I just share with you, that is, many of you say, why doesn't God just stop it all right now? As I look at God's word, the primary reason, God could, and God will. But the primary reason he doesn't stop it right now is because he knows that there are some of you that have not yet trusted in him. And if he called it all quits right now, you would not be ready to stand before him and give an account for your life. He's, he's waiting for you to trust in him and to give your life to him. Thank God for his grace, amen? Number four, whatever happens, God is in control and he will take care of those who trust in him. First Thessalonians 4 verse 13 says to us, we can grieve in this world, but we should not grieve as the rest of the world without hope. We don't lose hope. We don't lose heart. Amen? We're saddened at the things that happen in this world, but we say, you know what, God? Thank you that though there's some sad things that happen, and it looks like there's going to be more, that we can make a difference, that we can seek you, that we can be your, your people, that you can work in our lives, you can work through our lives, and then one day you're going to get us out of all this mess. So we can grieve, but not hopelessly. We can grieve with a broken heart knowing that one day God's going to rescue those who trust in him. Isn't that good news? There's a lot of things in what we've talked about this morning. But here's kind of where we're going to. Some of you, before we started this morning, kind of thought about voting this week like this. You know, I got a lot to do on Tuesday. I, got, I, got, I need to do some grocery shopping. I got to take the kids to soccer. I got a few bills to pay. I need to stop by and vote. And then I got to come home and we got to get ready for a birthday party. If I get around to it, was maybe your, your attitude. But I pray that as a result of coming to the Lord's people today and studying his word together, that you would stop for just a moment and say, wait just a minute. Now listen, friends, the next time we get together like this, your chance will be over. Okay, so don't blink. It's hard, isn't it? There's a lot going on in the world. There's a lot going on in my life. How about you? I got a lot going on between now and Wednesday. If I wanted to, I could miss it. But hopefully you'll stop and say, wait just a second, Lord. I remember my granddad in that great war sacrificed and I remember a lot of other people would have had a granddad and they lost their life and over the years since then a lot of people and even right now while we're sitting here a lot of people are making it possible for us to have this freedom so I realize freedom's not free and even though I didn't have to pay for it I'm not going to take it lightly amen and God, I want to stop for just a second and I want to ask you to help me and to help our country. Please, God, have mercy on us. Please, give us a little while longer. There's so many who need you, amen? Just give us a little while longer. And God, when I walk in that booth and that curtain closes, nobody else in this room is going to see it. But I know me and you are going to know 
the choice that I made. And I pray that it's something as you look at it, I can say, God, I hope this honors you. From what I know about you, from what I know from your word, I give this to you, this decision, it's a big decision. Would you bow with me before the Lord as we think about that and close? Heavenly Father, you know how frail and weak we are. On my own, I would never think about a bigger picture. I am so focused on Robbie and my little world and my life. It's very difficult for me to see the things that you see. And so, Lord, I thank you for opening up our eyes this morning. But, Lord, I pray that we not be like many people that you spoke to in your word who were asleep who are deadened and dull to your voice. But Father, when God speaks, that we would listen and respond and follow you as you are deserving of. So Lord, take your word and burn it in our hearts today and help us to be your servants in this world in which we live, this generation. Lord, I pray for the people of God that we would have the right attitude, the right expectations, we would know how to make wise decisions based upon your principles and your word. So Lord, speak to us today about those things. And Lord, I pray, Jesus, if there is somebody in this room that is worried about, where's this country going? Is my job going to be okay? Am I going to have any money? Is it all going to fall apart? My marriage, I can't work it out. It's just so many things twirling around. I pray that they would know there is security and freedom in placing their life in your hands. And Lord, that you cut through all of that noise and all the storms of life and that you speak to us and lead us and protect us. So would they just call upon you today and say, Jesus, please save me. Please forgive me. Come into my life. Wash my sins away. Lead me through this maze of life and help me to follow you. Father, in these next few moments, help us to make those decisions. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.